0: Something happens when we worship. Worship is not just singing songs, but worship is actually a life. It's, it's the way we live. And what's amazing about it is when we live during the week that way, we get together and all it does is it just expands it and grows it. Amen? Amen. This morning I want to preach, I'd I'd like to share, I want to continue in Isaiah 9, but before there, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. If you could turn to Judges chapter 6. Some of you, as you listen to my sermons, my preaching I, when when I go to the Hebrew and I I like to look at some of the the aspects of the Hebrew. It's such a rich language, and it deals with pictures. And uh, one of the the aspects of it in and it doesn't negate the definition, but what it does is it tries to enhance. And when you think of the name. the the word name, just the word name, what it does is the picture, the word name actually removes chaos. So if you think about that, my name's David, the moment you say that, what it does is it removes the chaos and the confusion and you know who you're talking about. If I was to say Muhammad Ali, just about everybody here except maybe the younger generation would know who I'm talking about. If I used the the name Elvis Presley, people would know that. And what happens is that name removes confusion. In the same way, when you say the name Jesus what happens is it removes confusion and everything that hears the name Jesus responds. And when I say everything, it's not just us humans. The winds and the waves obeyed him. Think about that. A tree heard his voice, and knew it was Jesus. Blindness. We sometimes can only equate it with respect to human terms, but when we understand and look at it and see it in respect of God, it's the dimension is just... It's not just a linear one of or this, but it's a multidimensional aspect the name of Jesus. And this morning, I want to take some time, and I want us to look at the name of Jesus, and I want to see what Jesus did. So as we share this morning, and as we take some time, I believe that God is going to do something this morning in each one of your hearts. And there's some of you this morning that as I preach, God is going to come, and he's going to remove things out of your life, and he's going to break things in your life. So if you can turn with me to Judges chapter 6, I want to read the first six verses as a preamble to Isaiah. And I want you to picture as I'm reading this, and if it's on the screen, that's great, but what I'd like you to do is picture the nation of Israel and the torment, the oppression And what the enemy had done to them and how they behaved in reaction to what was happening. It says, the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel "...made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains, and the caves, and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown, that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance in Israel as, no, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey." For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Can you picture that? Now I want to take this and I want to look at it in a spiritual sense and apply it to how we live. And what I want us to see is there's things in our lives that we do out of reaction to pressure that comes upon us. Have you ever reacted in a certain way? Because... What happened is that voice or that word or that individual said something or did something, and what it did was it brought back a memory, and the only way you could defend yourself was by reacting in a certain manner. I've done it. Sometimes I don't catch myself when I do it. My wife does, <laughs> and I thank God that she does. But there's been times when something's happened, and all of a sudden, I'll just, it's like a flip of a switch. And what happens is we begin to fight, or we begin to try to protect ourselves, or we begin to, because what happened is the last time that instance, or that situation, or that word happened, I got hurt. And therefore, in order not to get hurt, I'm going to protect myself. So I might lash out, I might say things, I might behave in a certain manner, I might run to certain things that will satisfy or take me away from what I'm experiencing. We all do that in certain ways or in certain manners. And the children of Israel, when the the, Midianites and the Amalekites and the people from the east came. What they did was they drove them to the point where they didn't even live in their land. They hid up in the caves and they built strongholds up in the mountains and they'd sow. And every time when they'd sow, the harvest would start to come. And what would happen is the enemy would come and destroy it. Have you ever felt like you've been futile in your efforts? I've spent the last three years building this company. I've spent the last six months doing this. I've spent all my career getting to this point. And you get to that point and all of a sudden something happens that's not good. The children of Israel were facing this situation and time and time and time again, it says for seven years, Seven years. What do they say? If it happens to me once, shame on me, or shame on you. If it it happens to me twice, shame on, uh, what is it? How does it go? Pardon me? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. me. So what what does that mean? I'm going to come up with a defense system. You're not going to do this again. I've had it with friendships, relationships. You get hurt. So what do you do? You put up a wall. I'm not going to reveal personal information because the last time I revealed personal information, somebody else got that information, and I was vulnerable, and then all of a sudden somebody else heard about it. The last time I did that, I entrusted and I opened up myself. And then this and, and the children of Israel, in many ways, that's what happened. They were opening up and they were trying to live and they were trying to move forward. And it was like three steps forward and four steps back. And it was like I'm trying to get forward, but I'm moving back. And we face things in life where we think we're gonna be forward and all of a sudden something happens and we get pushed back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And don't look around when you raise your hand. Does does anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't look at somebody and say, oh, I'm going to pray for him after church. And that's not why I'm asking you to raise your hand. But sometimes there's things in life, there's reactions. I've had reactions because something happened to me as a child. And because of that happening as a child, there were certain, my birthday. Everybody knows my birthday and how special that is to me. Why? Because when I was a child and I had all my brothers, there was one day a year where I thought it was all about me. I've gotten over it, but I still like to celebrate it. I built a bridge and I got over it. But there's things that we do, and sometimes they can be damaging in the long run, and sometimes it's, it's just a response. But what happens is we build walls, or we dig caves, or we go and hide, and the way that God has meant us to live, we don't live that way because of things that have happened to us. And that's what was happening here to the children of Israel. Now I'd like you to flip in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. And I want you to remember that passage from Judges. But I want to go to Isaiah chapter 9, and I'd like to read a few verses, and there's only a couple verses that I want to key off on on this morning. But what I want to do is I want to read about three or four verses, or a few more than that. And then I want to key off on a passage in there. I'm going to start in verse 2. The people... Who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. They shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. Talking about God, Jesus. They will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. He refers to Midian. And Isaiah actually is saying, just like what happened back there, he was bringing it into context. with, And what he was doing was he was giving a prophetic utterance of Jesus. He was giving a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do and, would, and how he would live and operate. What I'd like to do is I want to just take a couple verses in here. And I want to look at verse 4. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. And if you study this and you read it in the actual Hebrew, it reads a little bit different. Not different as in meeting, but just the way they structure the sentence. They, the, the way it's written is the yoke of burden, the staff on shoulders, the rod of oppressors, you shall break. So he gives three things and then he says he's going to break them. The yoke of burden, the staff on the shoulders, and the rod of the oppressor. Who's going to break? Who's going to break? Jesus. We sang this morning, break every chain. Break every chain. That's not just a good song, that's reality. So I want to take a couple minutes and I want to just unpack this a little bit. Break the yoke. What is yoke? Yoke usually ties two things together. Yoke would connect two animals together and then they would pull a load. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, when you look and study the word Parakletos, which is in the, in the Greek, it actually refers to somebody coming and standing by your side, and it gives a picture of somebody with you. So I want us just to think for a minute about the word yoke. Two things tied together. Walked alongside. It's heavy. It's like a weight on your shoulders. I find it amazing. I'll have conversations with myself because I don't find anybody else as qualified to talk to me as myself. That was funny. There's better people and smarter people than me, but... But as I'm talking to myself, sometimes I will take on things and I will place burdens and I will have things and I will carry things that I'm not designed to carry. You're not designed to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. You're not Hercules. You're not a mythical god. You're a human being. You're not designed to carry the burdens of everyone around you. And what happens is sometimes we carry those things and they start to weigh us down. And in fact, we start to walk and it's almost like we carry that person and we take their burden and now we start walking alongside of them and we're carrying them. Now, I have no issue with telling somebody I'm here to love you, walk with you, and be with you. That's, that's what the word tells us. But what happens is if we're not careful, we start to bring things on that we're not designed to carry. Some of us have burdens that we're walking alongside us. Worry. Stress. This time of the year, December and January... I believe it's at the end of January they have, the the psychiatrists have found one day is the day where the depression hits the greatest and it's found in the cycle of bills and when the bills hit at a certain day in January and they have literally found that there is a day in the year that the people's depression is the greatest because of the bills and the weight that they carry from things they've done And it takes, you know, stress actually robs you of enjoyment of life. Anybody here ever stay up at night stressing about the next day? It's like, I've only got two hands, but I could probably put up two hands and two feet. And what I found was I would stress out, I'd lose sleep, and the situation didn't change. And what's funny, I'd stress out, situation wouldn't change, I'd wake up the next day, and sometimes what I imagined didn't even happen. It's like, oh, I think this is going to happen. I'd get to the job site, and the guy was happy. I thought he was going to yell and scream at me. And what happens is we start to carry things that we're not designed to carry. Stress. Uncertainty. I have found in the last number of years, there's things I can't predict. I'd go into a doctor's office with Winona. And the reports would come. And there was uncertainty. Uncertainty. And if you're not careful, you start living like that, and after a while, you start to fear the phone because every time you call and you see doctor's office, what do you think is going to happen? Anxiety spikes. This spikes. This happens. Blood pressure. The uncertainty. We had to look at it and say, no. This is my certainty. This is my certainty. And I can't put what is uncertain into my life when I've got things that are certain because otherwise I will live with anxiety. I will live with high blood. Physically, it will wear me out. And that is not how God has designed it. The past, the future, the present, they all mess with us. You say, well, that's an uplifting message. Yeah, I know it is, isn't it? But can we be honest? Can we be real? I'm not Superman. Now, I know you don't see me and Superman at the same time, so there is the possibility (laughs) that there is me and him are the same, but I'll just tell you, it's not. You only see one of us at a time. But when you see me, you get me. And when you see Superman, you don't get me. What I want to do is I want us to see daily living. And Pastor Sean referred to it in the communion, how God has so much more for us. Pastor Daniel in worship, worshiping his name. And what we need to do is we start, need to start taking the focus off of me and start seeing what he has for us and putting the focus on him. If I can't predict the future, why am I worrying about it? And what happens is we take this burden And we take this yoke and we put on it and it actually, literally, physically wears us down. Pastor Nelson has reminded me on a number of occasions of an an instance years ago when he was in Bible school. this This man that was in the church walked around hunched. And they were asking, and they, they were, the situation came up, and they had a conversation. And it, I don't think it was just Pastor Nelson, but I think he had a testimony to the church. And he said it was bitterness and things that he did not resolve, and it actually physically affected how he walked and how he actually stood, his stature. That is not what Jesus wants for you. Yokes, it speaks of taking things on that we shouldn't have. And it is often referred to as a burden or as an oppressive thing. Now, what's amazing is Jesus comes and he flips the switch. He flips the tables and he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. So he's saying, you know what? Don't take that yoke. Take my yoke. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what does he do? He takes that and he replaces it with his burden, his yoke, and his pitcher. He says, and I will give you rest. If you want to solve a sleeping issue, take his burden, take his yoke, and come unto him. Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, I believe, is that passage. The next thing in that passage in, in Isaiah talks about the yoke of burden and he talks about the staff On the shoulder. And the staff has very many different pictures in the Bible. But one of them is discipline. Have you ever felt like all you're doing is. Hitting your head against the wall. I know nobody likes to put their hands up for that one. But you can just look at my face. And you know I've hit the wall. My boss is always doing this. This person's always correcting me. This is always happening. And what happens is. I can't get ahead. I'm always in trouble. Staff. What I find interesting is it's a, it's a picture of something on the shoulders. Again, it's a burden. It's a weight. And, and the staff is something that somebody else would have in this picture and they would hit as disciplined. Discipline and they would hit and inflict pain and inflict suffering and inflict hurt. The Midians. In this passage, it talks about the Midians. We saw that in Judges, how they would inflict on the children of Israel. That's not how God wants you to live. Jesus came and he solved that problem he didn't come to solve it he came and he solved it and it says that he will break the staff and again what he what does he do psalm 23 your rod and your staff they what they what there's a certain comfort that comes With the staff of God. I'll be honest with you. There's even a certain comfort. When he disciplines. Because the staff. Is an aspect of discipline. He doesn't punish. He disciplines. And it says. That a father. Will discipline the child. In whom they love. And I would rather take. The discipline from my heavenly father who is always doing it for my benefit for my good for my correction for my increase then take it from somebody else who's doing it out of anger out of spite out of what can I do how can I inflict this how can I hurt that's not the way Jesus does it his staff it protects through his discipline Sometimes I think we've got a picture of love that isn't 100% correct. You ask my children, I love them, but I did not give them everything they wanted every single time. Love has within its grasp discipline and correction. It says in Proverbs 3, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as the Father, the Son, in whom he delights. Can you imagine serving a God who didn't delight in you, so he would never correct you? Now, as a teenager, we might think that's fun. But once we hit 19 and the bills start to pile up, we realize, you know what? Some of those disciplines might have been good for me. We serve a God that cares about us so much that he will discipline us and point us in the direction that we should go. And what does he say? He says he wants to break the staff of the ones of Midian, the ones who come to oppress you and to bother you. The next word is the word rod. And this is a picture of Jesus. As I'm looking at this and going through this, this is a picture of what Jesus came to do, how Jesus lived, and what part of the work that he did for us. This is a prophetic utterance over 700 years before Jesus was born. I can't even predict within my own day But when you speak God's word, you can prophetically utter things that go beyond your day and beyond your life. He says he's going to break the rod of the oppressor. Again, this rod was used as a method of control. Have you ever felt like there are things happening to you, and life is getting out of control. I used to think I, I've I've done some some self analysis, and I was sharing with some people. None of them that go here, um, so they they're, they're not going to shout amen. So if an amen happens now, um, Lord help me, <laughs> Pastor Daniel, no amens. I, I thought I didn't have an issue with control. Okay, he doesn't say "Amen," but he laughs. He doesn't even hear what I'm going to say, and he already starts laughing. I didn't think I had an issue with control, but what I found out was I have a huge issue with control. Have you ever felt like something I, something happens to me, and instead of acting in love, I burst out in anger? That's a controlling thing. Something's controlling you. You say, well, no, that's, that's just who I am. No, that's something controlling you. Can we be honest? And the rod of the oppressor it was controlling. The Israelites did not live the way God wanted them to live because the oppressor put his rod on them and he controlled what they did. They actually ran into caves on the hillside to get away from them. Gideon, when God comes to Gideon, where's Gideon? He's in a wine press threshing wheat. He's not even using it for what it's designed for. He's hiding I've done things, and it's like, I don't want anybody to see this because the last time I did this, this happened and this happened and this happened. And what happened, I've had people's names when somebody says their name, you know what happens? I get a reaction. Who's controlling me? Quite frankly, that name of that person is controlling me. In the shopping mall, this has never happened to you. I'm just kind of being a little honest with you. Control. I see somebody who left the church. I might go outside that driveway and might go to a different store. I sure hope I don't see them in the aisle when I'm going and picking up my groceries. Come on. Control. That's not the way to live. That's not the way to live. And Jesus is the solution. And he says, I've come to break that. Again, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In 2 Corinthians, it says, If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. New. I don't live in my old life. I have a new life. I have a new identity. I have a new address, and this is where I live. I am not controlled by the urges, the dependency, the need, the aspects. I am not controlled by them anymore because now my, us, my sustenance, my desire, and my life is found in Christ. And he came, and he broke it. Quit trying to put back together what God has divinely broken. Pastor Nelson, he would say this term. I want to sow whatever I want and then I ask God for a crop failure. (laughs) Because you get what you sow. You are not living the old life so that does not control me anymore. I am a new creation. My identity is new. I have a new identity. It's in Christ. It's because of what he's done. So the oppression of the enemy. And by the way, it says oppressor. He doesn't say possessor. It's the oppression of the enemy. It's not the possession of the enemy. You are not possessed by the enemy. You are possessed. You've been bought with a price. It says that. In Corinthians, you've been bought with a price. You may be oppressed, you may be hassled, but you are not possessed because he has possessed you. So Jesus came to break those things. This is what Jesus came for. The word break, annihilate, to destroy the integrity, to smash, to destroy the integrity, usually by force, causing to separate into pieces or fragments. That's what Jesus came to do to your past. To the enemy that would try to control you. To the enemy that would try to oppress you. To the enemy that would try to put a yoke on you. To the enemy that would cause you to do. No, Jesus came and he destroyed it. And I want to show you in closing, I want to give you a visual of what that looks like. So Matthew, if you could come up for a second, you know where some of the props are. I want to show you what Jesus came to do. Safety first. This right here. No flowers, plants, or animals were harmed in this example. But being a man, I like to destroy things every once in a while. You know what Jesus came to do? This symbolizes the oppression of the enemy. This symbolizes what the enemy wanted to do to you. I look pretty cool. This symbolizes your past. This symbolizes the habits that you used to have. This symbolizes what the enemy used to do. I guess I don't need it right now. There we go. This symbolizes the urges. This symbolizes the control. This symbolizes the oppression. This symbolizes the yoke. And Jesus came and he says, you know what? I came to destroy that. You don't live that way anymore. This is broken. He's broken it. Don't try putting it back together. Because the work that Jesus did destroyed it. He annihilated it. He smashed it into pieces. He made a display of it openly. And he says, it's finished. It's done. That is now complete. And you are a new creation. And I will tell you one thing. The new you is better than the old you. I'll do it again just because I got two. And it worked so well what I want you to do is I'd like you to stand his name is Jesus and I believe this has been a prophetic word I believe prophetically I've been speaking and some of you in your hearts you might not even recognize it right now, but something has happened today and in your hearts things have been broken. In your life things have been broken. In your habits things have been broken. In your tendency things have been broken. In your words things have been broken. In the actions that you've done they're broken. In the habits, in the dependencies, in the aloneness, in the depression, in the hurt, it's broken now because of the name of Jesus. And he came to do it, and he did it once, and he did it for all. And you don't have to go back there because he's pulled you forward, and he's given you a new life, a new identity, a new being, a new purpose. And as I smash this one more time, what I want you to do is I want you to act in a spirit of faith and declare the old man is dead, is smashed, is gone, and I'm a new creation. And when I do this, you speak that and you shout out, thank you, Jesus. You ready? Because I'm not going to do this slow motion. This happened once and it happened forever. So when I do this, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Uh, thank you, Thank you, Jesus. Raise your hands right now. Raise your hands. Receive what he has done. He broke it. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, I speak prophetically right now that the past has no hold anymore. But you came and you broke it. You annihilated it. You defeated it. You broke the structure and the integrity of it. And it no longer controls me. It no longer disciplines me. It no longer carries me along with it. I am free. I carry your yoke, your rod, and your staff. They comfort me. Lord, I've changed and I've transferred. And Lord, this is what you do for me. So thank him right now. Just thank him. Thank him. Thank him for what he did. Thank him for what he did. We should never stop thanking him for the work that he did. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your son who came and he destroyed The works of the evil one. Amen. Amen. Veronica, I'm sorry. She's the one who does all the vacuuming. I've got some work to do this week beside you. Have an amazing week. Take that picture with you because it is done once and for all. I bless you.